thank you for joining listeners around the world for Leading the Way with pastor and author, Dr. Michael Youssef. Now, if you were to begin a conversation with someone at the grocery store or maybe the gas station about who's going to heaven and how a person gets there, you would probably hear a variety of answers. Some people would say everyone goes to heaven. Other people might say, well, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then maybe you've got a shot. And still others may lean into a belief that there is no such place as heaven. But up next, Dr. Youssef invites you into the pages of the Bible where Jesus himself tackles that question. It's part of his series called Enduring Wisdom, where we're able to get a closer look at the heart of our Heavenly Father. To begin this episode of Leading the Way, here is Dr. Michael Youssef, guiding you straight into God's Word. And our passage for today in Luke 13, beginning at verse 23, some unknown person asks Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Listen carefully to the question. It's a profound one. And in verse 24 of Luke 13, Jesus does not really answer the question, but He tells the man the very essence of the Christian faith. Listen to me. This is very important, particularly today, when we have so many people who claim to be Christians, so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They could be living in open sin and open rebellion against God and against His Word, but nonetheless they call themselves Christians. That is why this passage is of vital importance. Who goes to heaven? Well, the answer to the question is the true essence of the Christian faith, and is found in our passage for today, Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. Now, I'm just going to tell you one thing, and I'm going to repeat that. This is the last days in the life of our Lord. He was making His journey through Jerusalem. It takes an hour and a half by car, but our Lord walked it day after day through the villages, through the towns. He knew this is the last moment for people to hear Him calling them and inviting them to come and repent and believe in Him. And so, as He continues in that journey, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? The question that this man asked Jesus has been asked by millions of people in a million different ways. The way this man asked the question, will those who be saved are few? It's very intriguing, intriguing way of asking the question. And Jesus does not give him percentages. He does not give him numbers. He does not say small or many, but Jesus, in effect, left us all without a doubt that those who are going to enter heaven will be those who are willing to surrender their sin to Jesus, that those who are willing to surrender their pride and their desire for self-salvation, only those who surrender their self-righteousness only those who surrender their self-will, only those whose vehicle that will take them to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 9, the apostle tells us, since therefore we are justified by His blood. By who? We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. The only people who are going to make it to heaven 
are those who have repented of their sins, who have grieved over their sins, have surrendered their sins, and been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question this unknown man asks here in verse 23 is a genuine question, is a real question. Don't dismiss it. It's a real, real, genuine question on the part of this person. Why? Because, you see, the Jews in the time of Jesus, those who are listening, those who were there, expected that when the Messiah come, He will save their nation, and that's it. That's it. Nobody else. That's it. Remember, as I told you, Jesus was on His way to die on that cross, to be crucified and shed His blood for the sins of every repentant sinner. And so Jesus' answer was, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many will tell you that they will try, they will try, they will try. Yes, Jesus said they will try. So many people who think that they're going to go to heaven with all of their baggage and they will give you a variety of reasons as why they think they're going to heaven. If you ask them, they say, because I go to Mass every Sunday, or I take communion every Sunday, or because they keep their church rituals on a ceremony, or because God just is a good, cool Jesus who's going to let everybody in, or I like the Jesus who's a cool guy. No, 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 beloved, listen to me. Jesus, original hearers who were listening to Him, they thought that by virtue of their birth, by virtue of their ethnicity, by virtue of the fact that they are physically the descendant of Abraham, that they are a shoe-in into heaven, and Jesus disabuses them of this. Hear me right, please. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. Never, never, never. Far from it. In fact, He's saying the very act of humble repentance before God, the very act of self-denial is a clear indication of salvation. I believe very few people can say with John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. Nothing in me, nothing in me, all of him, or like the song says, nothing in my hand I bring, or like the other song that says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What about you? What about you? What about the person who says, well, I've done some good things. Oh, that belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who says, I hope that my good is going to outweigh my bad. Oh, no, no, no. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who says, but I went to church every time the doors are open. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person that I have done lots of charitable work. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who said, I follow Pastor Smellfungus, and he said that it's okay to do this and that and the other thing. No, no, no. With him, you belong to the wide gate. The word strive is the Greek word agazonomai, from which we get the word agonize. And beloved, listen to me. If you do not experience agony of soul that leads to repentance, if you do not take up your cross on a daily basis and follow Jesus, if you do not know what it means to daily die to self, if you do not know 
what self-sacrifice is, you could be heading for the wide gate, not the narrow one. If you have embraced Christianity because somebody told you that this is the way to prosper in this life, or because this is the way you get some cheap salvation, or because this is the way you can develop (laughs) self-esteem, then it is time to cry to the Lord, show me your way. Look at verses 24 and 25. It is a picture of those who will be protesting on this final day of judgment for those who will not make it to heaven. But we participated at communion. We participated in Mass. But we went to church at Christmas and Easter. But we believed in the Jesus good man. But we believe that Jesus is a great prophet. But we believe that Jesus is a wonderful teacher. We like Jesus' teaching. We try to live by the golden rules. Will not work. That will not work. That will not work. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked yourself the question whether you are a truly authentic believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just believe in Jesus, but believe Jesus and take Him at His word. Verse 28 all the way to 30, there are some on the most powerful verses in all of the Gospels, because in these verses, Jesus reveals a very surprise explanation and a very vivid description of hell. I know some of you probably are asking right now, what is this thing about Abraham, Isaac, and people from the East and the West? Listen to me very carefully. In the Old Testament, people were saved by looking forward. 2,000 years, they're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes dies on a cross and rises again. Every one of the prophets have predicted him. In fact, that is why Jesus said, Abraham, remember this, 2,000 years before Jesus, Abraham. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. How did he see Jesus' day? By faith. And everyone from Abraham on that is saved in the Old Testament is saved by faith by looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and dying on that cross for their sin and rising again by faith. How are the New Testament people are saved after Christ? By that same faith, the same faith. We look back by faith 2,000 years ago. By faith, we look back to the cross of Christ and the shedding of His blood for my sins and your sins, and then rising again with the power of His omnipotence. That's why the book of Revelation said they're going to be from every tribe and every nation, every tongue. They're going to be coming from every corner of the globe, and they're going to be participating with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of God, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But those who are so close, those who are physical descendants of Abraham and yet rejected Jesus, they will be in agony. Now, I want you to use your imagination here just for a little bit. Just use your imagination with me for a minute. Now, these Pharisees, they kept all of the external trappings of the religion. They kept all the external ones. <laughs> These all the religious rituals, but they're heading for hell. 
while repentant prostitutes and robbers and criminals, when they repent of their sins, they'll be saved and end up in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. It's mind-boggling, let me tell you. It's mind-boggling. Here are the most agonizing words. I don't know you. I don't know you. Verse 28. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Far from focusing his hearers or on his hearers' self-fulfillment, self-actualization, ambitions, desire for health, wealth, and prosperity in this life, far from it, far from it, far from it. That's what preachers are preaching in pulpits today, but that's not the focus of Jesus. Jesus is calling them to have an eternal perspective. He's calling them to pay attention to hell. Look at verses 31 and 32, 33 with me, please. There's an exhibit A of the Pharisees' hypocrisy here. You know from the moment of his birth, Jesus has been targeted for killing. I mean, Satan wanted to kill Jesus as he was a baby. Remember Herod sent, killed all the babies in Bethlehem? I mean, from day one, from the day he was born. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill the sinless, the only sinless, perfect, absolute, righteous, holy, compassionate, generous, and benevolent Jesus. In verse 31, the first glance when you read that and you think, oh, these Pharisees, these hypocrites, really are concerned about Jesus. I mean, they hated Jesus. They didn't want to kill Jesus, but they, you think they were concerned about Him, <laughs> that they were trying to be compassionate about Jesus, said, get out of here, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. But Jesus was not going to be fooled by their pretending to be concerned for Him. He knew that He was going to Jerusalem. He was on His way to Jerusalem for the purpose of dying. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But listen to me. But even the gentle Lamb is suspicious of wolves when they pretend to be concerned for the Lamb's safety. Think about it. What does our wise Lord say to that? <laughs> Let me give you a message that you can take to Herod. Go and tell that fox. Translation. Go and tell this conniving, worthless rat. That's a Yusuf translation. <laughs> I will cast demons and I'll heal the sick on my own schedule. I will accomplish my goal on my own timetable. I will do the will of my Father, until the time is up. I will do what I came from heaven to do until it's accomplished. I will go to Jerusalem on my own terms. I will go to the cross on my own terms. I will pay for the wages of every repentant sinner on my Father's watch. I will accomplish all things according to the counsel of my will. I will lay my life down for my sheep 
by the sovereign determination of the will of the Father. I fear no threats of those who think that they can stop me. I will not be intimidated by those who think they have power over me. I will not be silenced or pushed around by those who think that they are powerful. As it is, I'm heading for Jerusalem. (laughs) I know what awaits me there. I know what I'm going to accomplish there. I know it's in Jerusalem where the prophets have been persecuted and killed, and I am going there. (laughs) Beloved, make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Herod did not kill Jesus. Pontius Pilate did not kill Jesus. Judas Iscariot with his betrayal did not kill Jesus. Caiaphas the high priest did not kill Jesus. It was the Father's will that His Son die on that cross to redeem repentant sinners. Jesus is the one who took Himself to that cross. And He said in the Gospel of John, He said, I have authority to take it up. I have authority to lay it down, but I'm going to lay it down because that is the way I'm going to redeem and ransom my children. All these people from Herod to Pontius Pilate to Judas to, to the high priest, all they will pay for their guilt. They'll be judged for that. But God, in His sovereign will, decided that Jesus will die on that cross to pay for the wages of my sin and the punishment of your sin and the sin of everyone who will repent and turn to Him. And then, on the third day, He will vindicate him by raising him up with every ounce of his omnipotence out of the grave. And, beloved, I've been to Israel many times. Every time I go and look, the tomb is empty. Our God is not only sovereign, is not our holy God, but don't ever forget The other side of the coin is that He's a compassionate God. He's a compassionate God. He's gracious God. Look at verses 34 and 35. I hope that when you go home that you read those words again and again and again and again. Just read and feel the incredible passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His passion about those who have rejected His message, have rejected His salvation— who have rejected His truth. This is, of course, an agrarian image. Agrarian image. I grew up in a culture where I could see with my own eyes when the hen takes her brood under her wings. And this is a constant biblical theme. When Jesus cried, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! And this double mention is always for emphasis, always like when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, the devil wants to sift you as wheat. Or when he said, Martha, Martha, oh, Jerusalem, despite of all your past sins and your persecuting and killing of the prophets, I still long for you to repent and turn to me. This deep longing on the heart of Jesus, he wanted them to repent from their false religion and come to, under his wings. In fact, that imagery of the wings of God is repeated in the Psalms a great deal, many times. In fact, let me give just examples. 
in Psalm 17, 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 36, 7, How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. Find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And in Psalm 61, 4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelters of your wings. This is just a few examples. I could go on. It is only, only under His wings can you find refuge, sustenance, warmth, and security. All other so-called securities, they are temporary and shallow at best. Finally comes the grand finale of the prophecy. Behold, your house will be left desolate. Oh, when people set their wills to reject Him, listen to me, God finally respects their will. He will. Just as He accepted Jerusalem's rejection of Him as their Messiah, this is the city where the temple of God was. Think about this. This represented the presence of God. Yes, that too will crumble. You know, and I know, that on 70 A.D., 70 A.D., that was just 36 years, 37 years after Jesus uttered those words, Jerusalem was raised to the ground. The prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled with meticulous precision. And, beloved, the return of Christ and the judgment of God will be fulfilled, as it is says, with meticulous precision. For those who have rejected Jesus and created the Jesus in their own image, not the Jesus of the Bible, they will face consequences. I pray to God not one person could ever be among those. And that is why I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And if there's a single person listening to me, and it's not even certain of their eternal life, they've been overriding the voice of God again and again and again, this may be the last chance to hear and respond to the call and the invitation. Will you say, Lord Jesus, I invite you as my only Savior, as my only Redeemer. My only justification is your blood come into my life. The scripture said when you do that, you can be absolutely sure. Jesus said, those whom the Father gives me, I'll lose none. You can be absolutely sure that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in your heart. A challenge from Dr. Michael Youssef to be ready for the return of Christ. And perhaps today's content brings up questions that would be best addressed by a leading the way pastor or counselor. Reach out, begin a conversation by filling out a short contact form at ltw.org slash Jesus. Do you read the Bible as if your life depends on it? Well, you should. In Dr. Michael Youssef's book, How to Read the Bible, he reveals how the Bible guides you through life with faith and power. 
you'll understand that from the first pages of Genesis all the way through the last words of Revelation, God is pointing you toward the Lord who saves completely and eternally. Learn how to get your copy of Dr. Yusuf's book, How to Read the Bible, today when you visit ltw.org. ltw.org. Learn more about the life-changing content in Dr. Yusuf's newest book, How to Read the Bible, when you visit ltw.org. In fact, order it right there on the website, quickly and securely, ltw.org. Or speak with a ministry representative. Call 866-626-4356. That's 866-626-4356. Or you can write to us at Leading the Way, Post Office Box 20100, Atlanta, Georgia, 30325. Well, time is up for this episode, but do remember you're invited to hear Dr. Youssef's youngest son, Jonathan, teach the next Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth.